Amen. Thank you so much, Amanda and Cameron, for leading us uh, in that song. Just a perfect setup for the focus and the theme for this morning as we're continuing our journey in the kingdom of God of really loving God, loving others, and truly knowing him. And I'm really excited for this morning that we actually have two speakers, two of our very own students, and two students that serve in the role, in a student leadership role called a spiritual development assistant that um, I have the privilege of working with, and, and they come alongside of our chapel and spiritual formation team. Let me tell you just a little bit about each of them. I want to pray for them, and then uh, we're going to hear from both of them. And so our first student that we're going to be hearing from is uh, Tori Giblin, who is uh, a senior nursing major. And uh, Tori has a, a huge heart for prayer um, and is about of, uh, leading different areas of prayer on Friday mornings. Um, if you know her and as you get to know her this morning, you can see um, really just the meekness and the humility that flows from her um, and the excitement, the enthusiasm that she has for Jesus. And I love that uh, about her. And then our second spiritual development uh, assistant, second student speaking, is Kenneth Granados, who is a junior pastoral studies uh, major who uh, I, I have just had such a joy getting to know this fall, uh, especially, and his heart uh, specifically for the Word of God and for serving in the local church and for outreach and having a passion not only to know Jesus more, but to make him known. And so I can tell you that by spending time with both Tori and Kenneth and getting to know them, that not only do I, I, love, I love Jesus more, but I know him more as a result of, of our time together and partnering together as we um, come alongside the Lord to serve you. Um, as students in your journey of spiritual development. So um, I want to pray for both of them, and then uh, uh, and I'm going to invite Tori to come up to begin uh, sharing. So Father in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for your love, that your love that knows no bounds. And we pray that you would give us um, strength in our, our spirit through the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to grasp how wide and how long and how far and how deep is the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And Lord, that we would recognize that knowing you truly is the greatest gift, that we would count everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, and being found in him. And I pray, we pray now for um, our dear sister Tori and brother Kenneth that as they share, Lord, I really just testifying to your grace in their lives as they share from, um, uh, your, from your word, uh, God, that your Holy Spirit would awaken us and, and, and enlarge our capacity to receive uh, through them. And God, we are excited and grateful. Uh, for this time, and for all those that are here in this room, for those that are viewing online, for those that even right now maybe are watching after the after the after this this time, Father, we trust that um, the words that you'll share through Tori and Kenneth uh, will be edifying, encouraging, challenging, convicting. Uh, but Lord, that we will love you and others and know you more as a result of our time together. So, Lord, and all this we pray and ask in your name, and we say together. Amen. So would you join me in welcoming up Tori Giblin, the sea shares. Hi guys, my name is Nervous and I'm feeling very Tori right now. <laughs> So that's how I was told to introduce myself. But my name is Tori, and I'm so excited to be here this morning with all of you. 
Um, and I just want to start by reading Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8 says, But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ. So a couple of years ago, um, the summer before I started freshman year, my mom made it her goal to memorize Philippians 3, and um, she made it her goal to make Jesus her everything, um, to make Jesus her highest treasure, so far above everything else that she would consider everything else to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And she asked me if I wanted to join her, and I agreed. Um, and I remember after that, there would be some mornings when I would wake up, walk upstairs, go past our TV room, and I would see her spending time with the Lord. Sometimes she would be on her knees, and sometimes she would even be on her face. And let me tell you that the more, it seems like the more I pray that Jesus would be my everything, the more I am continually humbled by the depth of my sin, and the more I continually realize that I have no power in myself to love God or to love people at all. But as I am realizing my own inability to love, I'm beginning to get glimpses of what God's love is like, and it's God's love that changes everything. He is the one who changes our hearts to love him and to love others well. So in chapel, we've been talking about kingdom living, um, loving God most and loving other people well are essential values of the kingdom of God. In fact, the two greatest commandments are to love God with everything and to love people as ourselves. In Mark 12, 28 through 30, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So my first question is and has been for a while, how do I love God like this? I have wrestled with this question again and again. Um, and we see from scripture that following Jesus is ultimately all about the heart. The Pharisees had great knowledge. They followed rules. They were men of authority. They were the religious elite. But Jesus describes them as whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23, 27. He says, woe to you, teachers of the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of everything unclean. So they looked great on the outside, but on the inside, they were dirty. Their hearts were so far from the Lord. Um, they, they went through all the motions. They were religious. They, they had it all together, it looked like, on the outside. But truly, on the inside, they, they did not. Um, and then in Mark chapter 12, many people were putting great sums of money into the temple treasury, and a poor widow came and put only two small coins into the treasury. And in Mark 12, 43 through 44, Jesus says to his disciples that this widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. 
They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. The widow didn't literally give more money, but her offering meant so much more because her heart was in the right place. She gave the Lord everything she had, but the rich put in their money only to boast. Their hearts were not in the right place. Have you ever wondered what God really wants of you? One time a few years ago, I was asking God this question. God, what do you want from me? Do you want me to sell everything? Do you want me to move to another country, drop out of school? Like, do you want me to do something like that? What do you really want from me? What does it really mean for Jesus to be my everything? As I wrestled with this, the Holy Spirit so clearly revealed to me that above all else, what God wants is my whole heart. What God wants is our whole hearts. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we can speak in the tongues of angels. We can have the gift of prophecy, fathom all mysteries, have faith that can move mountains. We can give all we possess to the poor, give over our bodies to hardship. But if we don't have love, if we're not doing these things out of a heart that is in the right place, we gain nothing. So just to think, I could do all these things, give everything to the poor, give up my life, have a faith that can move mountains. But if these things are not done out of love and out of a heart that is in the right place, these things mean nothing. And the idea that Jesus just wants our hearts doesn't mean we're off the hook of doing crazy things for God's kingdom. I believe that Jesus wanting our whole hearts holds us to a higher standard. And it allows God's love to be the motivator for ministry and sacrifice and anything God is calling us to do and, and for obedience because we're called to be obedient to him. Um, and that's also a way that we show that we love him. God's love is so tangible. Jesus came down to serve. He came down to teach, to eat with sinners, to die a sinner's death on our behalf. When God changes our hearts to love, this should motivate us to tangibly express God's love. So a few weeks ago, I was really frustrated because I just, I felt like I just have no, I just was frustrated because I'm not loving God enough, I feel like. And I don't, I just was asking God, why don't I love you more and how can I love you more? I can't make myself love you more. And it was 1 a.m. in my dorm and I was just asking God this and he so clearly brought me back to that time a couple years ago when he revealed to me that he just wants my whole heart. And then it just hit me. As I thought about it, I wondered why God would want my heart. How does loving God equal me giving him my heart? My heart is sinful. It's so full of idols, so full of lies. I've been redeemed by Christ, and he doesn't see my sin anymore, and that's amazing. He sees, he sees the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus has done for me. But apart from Christ, my heart is absolutely disgusting. So if loving God means me giving him my heart, not only is that nothing to give, it's so much less than nothing. Apart from Christ, all I have is just a broken, depraved heart that is full of idols. And I just kind of sat there, just kind of staring at my wall. Like, what? Like, that's, that's what God wants? Like, I mean, I guess that's all I have to give. But... And then the Holy Spirit reminded me that this is the great exchange. He gets my sin and I get his righteousness. He gets my brokenness and I'm made whole. He gets my pain, I get his joy. He replaces my heart of stone and gives me a heart of flesh. The gospel is scandalous. 
To love God more is to daily surrender to him the very sin that nailed him to the cross. To love God means to daily choose him above all other things in my life that may take his place. When we surrender to him and choose him, that's when we allow him to change our hearts. That's when we allow him to do what we are powerless to do in ourselves. We don't just choose Jesus when we pray the prayer of salvation. We choose Jesus every day. We don't just surrender to Jesus once. We're called to surrender every day. We're called to pick up our cross every day. The gospel doesn't just change us once. It can change us every day. So let's never graduate from the gospel. So that's just my journey of how God's been walking me through the first part of the great commandment. And it's, it's such a journey. Like, I don't think any of us has answers, but this is just the journey that I wanted to share with you guys. And then the second part of the great commandment is loving people. And so my first question is why can't, or how do I love God more? My second question is how do I love others? Um, we can't love people if we don't love God. Loving God leads us to loving people who are made in God's image. So when we surrender our hearts to Jesus, not only does he change our hearts to love him more, he changes our hearts to love others more. Um, and if there's anything that the Holy Spirit has really been impressing upon my heart is that I desperately need to know God's love in order to love others. I can't love um, in my own strength. I, I need to love from the overflow of the love that God has given me. In John, 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because he first loved us. Um, I, I don't know. We desperately need to know God's love in order to love others. That's just been something that has been so powerful in my life. Um, and then in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, Paul prays, um, let's see, sorry. Whoa, no, this page, okay. He, he prays, um, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We desperately need to know, be filled by God's love if we want to love others. I know what it's like to be so dependent and needy and insecure, um, trying to get from people rather than trying to give. And if I'm trying to get from people, I can't truly love them. Everything we need is in God. In Philippians 4.19, God promises that he will supply our every need. We desperately need to know God's love and be filled by that in order to love others. So what is Jesus' love like? I want to know his love more every day. Jesus exemplified perfect love by sacrificing himself on our behalf. In John 15, 13, we're told that there is no greater love than laying down one's life for the sake of another. That's what Jesus did for us, and we're called to do the same. Jesus loved so tangibly, and we're called to love so tangibly. Um, and while Jesus was on his way to the cross, the most tangible expression of his love, his heart was still set on loving us. In Luke 23, 27, um, it talks about a large number of people, including women, were mourning for him and weeping for him as he was on his way to the cross. And Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of, Jeru 
daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children. On Jesus' way to the cross, he didn't want people to weep for him. He wanted people to weep for those who didn't know God. When Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. His last words were not for himself and his own pain. They were for those who didn't know God. I'm so inspired by the faith of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. In his dying breath in Acts 7, he cries out, Lord, do not charge them with this, this sin. He was praying for his persecutors in his dying breath. What would it look like to have a heart that is like this, so surrendered to God, so transformed by God's love, so filled by God's love? What would it look like to love in such a tangible and sacrificial way that we're willing to give our lives for the sake of those who need the gospel? These are questions that I continue to wrestle with. <clears throat> so let's be people who seek to have Jesus be our highest treasure. Let's daily surrender our hearts. Let's walk in obedience. Let's be so filled by God's love that we are able to live from the overflow. And let's get to know God's love by sitting at his feet. And with that, I'm going to pray and then invite Kenneth up. Um, God, I just thank you so much for bringing us all here today. And I just, I thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross, God, for your blood that was shed for us so that we could be made whole. Um, God, we want to make you our highest treasure. We want to love you most of all and love other people better than ourselves, God. We, we want to follow your example. We want to daily surrender. Um, God, do in us what we can't do in ourselves. And I just pray this, God, for myself, and I just pray this for our campus. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. And with that, I want to invite up the biggest coffee hater I know, but it's okay because he loves Jesus a lot. So you guys can welcome up Kenneth. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Tori. Good morning, everybody. Blessings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from our sinful nature and has promised eternal joy and delight for those of us who believe in him. My name is Kenneth Granados. I am a junior pastoral ministry major, 21 years old from Minneapolis, and I'm very excited to be here with you all this morning. Um, I'm so thankful for Jay Jepp and the spiritual formation team. Um, I'm just so thankful for allowing them, for allowing me to speak today. And my hope and my prayer is that today I would not be the one speaking, but that it would be the Holy Spirit speaking through me. Um, today I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony, but I mainly want to relate it to this overarching question that I would like to invite you to wrestle with me today. And this question is, do you truly know God? Do you truly know God? Right off the bat, I want to let you know, this is not going to be an easy message for me to share. Um, but I do believe that it is important that we are reminded of how sinful we are and how amazing, how marvelous, and how glorious our God in heaven is. Turn with me to Jeremiah 29, 13. If you have your Bibles here today, this is personally my favorite verse of this chapter, contrary to what most Christians would say. 
Um, and I love this verse because it has convicted me and filled me with future or hope for the future. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just really convicting to me. But in the ESV it says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And to give a little bit of the context of why Jeremiah was writing this, he was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem decades before the fall of the southern kingdom. He personally witnessed the exile of the kingdom of Judah to Babylon. The book of Jeremiah can be seen as a collection of writings or sermons that Jeremiah preached throughout his ministry. And specifically, in Jeremiah 29, he's writing a letter of hope to the exiles. He's essentially telling them, relax, build your houses, give your sons and daughters into marriage, and trust God. God promises to deliver you from this place after 70 years. He has a plan and a purpose for you, and if you seek him, you will find him. just want to provide a little bit of the context so we can understand a little of what Jeremiah is trying to say. Um, and we will return back to Jeremiah 29, 13, but I wanted to give a little bit of my testimony and how God has brought me to where I'm at today. Um, it all started in the early 90s. My parents came from Costa Rica to live here in Minnesota. And while they were here, they were able to connect with the church. And um, then I was born in 1999, and I essentially was raised in the church my entire life. My mom and dad were both serving in the church. They're very involved in the kids' ministry as I was growing up. Um, so I spent hours uh, at church. And I sat through Bible story after Bible story, and yet I didn't really believe that God was real. Um, one night when I was eight years old, I had a nightmare that changed my life. I was in a city that was on fire. I mean, buildings, buses, houses, everything around me was on fire. And there were people screaming, and there was this huge monster just destroying everything in the city. And the overall, the overall feeling of this place was fear. And I remember saying something like, Lord, please help me find a way out of this city. Please save me in Jesus' name. Amen. And as soon as I said amen, I woke up. And it clicked in my head that God was real. And from that moment on, I grew increasingly curious about God, who he is and what he has done for me. And I would say that when I was eight years old was when I knew that God was real. And a couple years went by, and I ended up going to Hope Academy for middle school and high school. If you don't know Hope Academy, it's a Christian private school in the inner city. Honestly, the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, I made so many connections with different mentors um, and different teachers. And through Hope Academy, I was able to find out about UNW. And by God's grace, was granted uh, the AXIC scholarship to be here. Um, but when I was 15, I went to New Orleans, Louisiana while I was at Hope. I went on a mission trip, and I believe that that was when I saw the reality of evil in this world for the first time. Um, rows and rows of tents under bridges. Um, the destructive effects of addiction, alcohol, drugs, sex. Um, I was overwhelmed by just the evil that I was able to see in one place um, and that I was shielded from here in my own city. Um, and a lot of crazy things happened during that trip. But after that trip, everybody said I was going to be a pastor for some reason. Um, I tried to run as far away 
from that as I could. So I said I was going to be a neurosurgeon. Um, and praise the Lord, I didn't become a neurosurgeon. Um, but as the story moves along, four days before my freshman fall semester, I changed my major to pastoral ministry, and I've been doing that ever since. Um, and now that all of this has happened to me, you know, now all these things have happened to me. And as I've been raised in the church, I witnessed incredible miracles. I was even encouraged by my own pastor to go into the pastorate, and yet I still believe that I wasn't truly following God with my whole heart. Um, I believe that I became a born-again Christian at 19. In May and June of 2019, I was in an internship in New Orleans running a Bible camp for kids ages 4 to 14. And in that internship, I was faced with the seriousness of ministry. I had to deal with kids that didn't know a thing about God. They grew up in gang-related lifestyles, generally just came from very difficult circumstances. And I mean, every single day was filled with hard physical work, but also the emotional toil of dealing with kids coming from broken families carrying dark and heavy spiritual baggage. And that's where I began to scratch the surface of what it means to pick up your cross daily and to follow God. But one event in particular rocked me to the core. The last week that I was there, I was in a room full of kids, about 9 to 14 years old. Um, and before we taught the kids, um, we would have a time together of just singing and worshiping. And we, uh, we'd sing along with them, and there was one song that we sang. I don't remember what the song was, but it's a song that we've sung here before. Very popular. Um, but as the song started, a kid next to me, really sweet kid, started crying. And I asked him why he was crying, and he couldn't explain it to me. And then what I saw next was a miracle from God. Every, almost every single kid in that room started crying unexplainably, and they left believing in Jesus. They, they truly believed in God, and I started to cry because I had no idea what I was witnessing, but I knew that it was a work of the Holy Spirit. And now to relate all of this together, those kids, I mean, they spent an entire month every day hearing the gospel over and over and over again, and they didn't believe it until a couple days before I left the internship. And now as I stand here, before all of you in chapel, I present to you this question. Do you truly know God? All of you are like these kids. You've heard the gospel multiple times. You take Old Testament. You take New Testament. You take systematic theology. You take all these classes that you need to graduate from this place. But do you know the gospel for yourself? One of the hardest questions I've had to ask myself that summer was if I knew the gospel myself and if I didn't know it or if I couldn't explain it to myself in a way that made sense, how could I ever call myself a Christian? And if I wasn't able to explain the gospel to a five-year-old, then I didn't know it well enough to consider myself a Christian. How can you claim to be an ambassador of Christ and yet not know who you're representing? When I was thinking about these things, I got embarrassed. I mean, I... I I want you to know this is a convicting message for myself. I have to consistently preach the gospel to myself every day so I don't fall into sin or forget the beautiful truth that has saved me. Some of us might know the backup quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, or some of us might know every color on an eyeshadow palette, but do we know the one who shed his blood for us? 
Do you care about him as he cares about you? I don't want to stand here and assume that everyone in here is a Christian. I'd like to assume that, but I've seen it in my own life. People that I've taught in the past, people that I've discipled. I mean, you preach the gospel to people for days, weeks, months, or years, and yet some people just don't believe it. And now bringing it back to Jeremiah 29, 13. Have you truly sought God with everything that you have? The statement is what we call in theology an if-then statement. If you seek God with your whole heart, then you will find him. Notice that it says your whole heart. The vocabulary of the Bible is just so amazing. It's not a piece of your heart. It's not a fraction. It's not a half, but it is your entire heart, everything that you are. I would also add that seeking him is a continual thing, not something you do on a Sunday and forget to do the rest of the week. It is a glorious and beautiful truth that God gives to the Israelites, and I believe he gives to us as well. John 6, 37, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And maybe some of you listening today are struggling to know God because you haven't sought him with your whole heart. Some of you have not sought him at all. And listen, guys, my life changed when I asked God to reveal to me the depths of my sin. When I found out how prideful, wicked, impure, and evil I truly am, I couldn't help but run to Christ and ask him to save me. And there are moments during the day when my heart will burn because of my sin. I mean, I'll feel so convicted about something I said or something I did. And I, I mean, I just can't help but run to God for forgiveness. And I don't say these things to boast, but I mean, I consider myself to be the worst of all sinners. But do you care about killing your sin? John Owen, one of the most popular Pur uh, Puritans said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So brothers and sisters, are we killing sin? Or are we allowing it to fester and grow in our hearts? For thousands of years, the Israelites had prophet after prophet warning them about their sin and, and just the destruction that it would bring. And what did they continue to do? They continued to love their sin. They continued to walk in the ways of the world. They continued to love themselves more than they love God. And throughout my life, especially in high school, I thought I knew God, but I rarely picked up my Bible to read it. I thought I knew God, but I would rarely pray. I thought I knew God, but I wouldn't know how to explain the gospel to someone, let alone to myself. Do you know God? Do you wrestle all night like Jacob to know God? Do you even understand the importance of knowing God? John 17, 3, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And this is eternal life. Notice it doesn't say these things are eternal life. And it is a definite statement. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that you would know God. What is the importance what is the importance of knowing him? Eternal life.
As I'm nearing my conclusion, I want to present to you guys the importance of knowing God, the reason why I cannot help to proclaim his name, and the reason why I say all these difficult things to you all this morning, and that reason is the gospel. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in the history of humanity has broken the commandments of God. You have either broken one, if not all, of the Ten Commandments, which are God's standard for goodness. And the punishment for you is death. As it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And you deserve to go to hell for eternity for the sins that you have committed. The punishment is eternal damnation and eternal separation from goodness, love, and the joy of God. And we, not, we cannot go to heaven on our own. But God. But God. Knowing this, in his perfect love and sovereignty, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, die a gruesome death, be buried and resurrected on the third for you. Christ died for you. Christ died for you. He died so you can be with him forever, so that you can know him and once you know him, you realize he deserves all the honor, all the worship, all the praise. And this is the gospel. Christ died for us that we could know him, worship him, tell others about him. And some of you might question, why am I preaching the gospel to a group of college Bible students? Well, the reality is, is that when I was sitting here in chapel as a freshman, I didn't know it myself as much as I wanted to say that I did. My hope and my prayer is that all of you wouldn't idly stand by and waste your time while you're here. When I was confronted with the reality of sin in my own life, I knew that I needed God, and I desperately sought him out, reading the word, praying, fasting. And as I've done these things, I've begun to love him for who he is, not just what he's done for me. And as I read the New Testament, I see all these Christians ready to die for the sake of Christ. And my only conclusion is that they truly knew God. And so my charge to you this morning is to know God. And as I walk that path with you, I mean, our charge together is to know God. I don't have this figured out yet. And if you truly want to know him, there's a beautiful promise and assurance that if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for this time that you have given us to hear from your word. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are present here or are online. I pray that they would know the gospel. I pray that it would pierce their heart, Lord. I pray that they would understand the seriousness of your word. And I pray, God, that they would seek you with all of their heart, that they would truly know you, God, and that they would know that this is eternal life. Eternal life is to know you, Jesus. We thank you so much for the blood of your son, 
that covers us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that those that are in your hand, you will never pluck out. Thank you so much, Lord, for your son. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. You're dismissed. Please social distance on the way out and have a blessed day.